Welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast. It is myself, John Anderson, in the helm once again. Um, you are you're joining us here on a lovely Wednesday night. Uh, deepest, darkest Scotland is getting wintry. It is blooming cold outside, but we are here to warm the cockles of your hearts with more chat about Scottish rugby and possibly even mentions of some of our wonderful international compatriots. Uh, joining me tonight, uh, I've got the terrible twosome themselves. First of all, I've got Johnny McGinty, resplendent in a Canterbury hoodie. Johnny, good evening. Good evening. How are you? This is my like daughter about the house hoodie. It looks it's, warm. It looks warm. It's are nice. You, yeah, it's very nice. Are you, are you choosing to? Are you heating only that room and the room that your partner's in? Is that? Is this the plan? Yeah, the, the rest of my family are freezing, but I'm warm now. <laughs> No, I'm not. I'm not doing that. No one phoned the council or anything. Yeah, just yeah, just just to be clear, like don't don't phone uh, uh, any sort of council. Everyone in the McGinty household is safe and well. 
I, and also, yeah, partner in crime, I saw you boogie into the theme tune. It's none other than Craig Manson. Craig, how the hell are you, sir? I'm terrible. You're terrible? Yeah. <laughs> I hope to get onto that. I'm absolutely <laughs> terrible. I had a mental busy day to day at work, and then I've got to come on this pod and listen to you two plums big up Glasgow because <laughs> you, you beat some diddy team from Italy, and then... Then I've got to try and justify why Edinburgh were so rubbish at the weekend <laughs> against a, a, a monster team who haven't started the URC very well this year. And then just then I've got to deal with the fact that England might actually get better. So <laughs> can I just say... I find that unlikely. I agree with Johnny. <laughs> I find it incredibly just demoralising. And I don't... <laughs> I'm oh, just... Big. Yeah, I've had enough. Well, You've made we'll... me feel bad for you now. Yeah. No, I don't want your sympathy. Don't be sitting there. I don't, <laughs> I need don't care about your pity. I don't, don't need your pity. Don't you worry, Craig, you're not getting mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> How did I ever think that would be any different? Yeah, uh, so so um, Craig, Craig has been subject to some dogs abuse on the group chat over the last couple of days. He's done very well not to bite, so I'm interested to see how tonight goes. Um, if you're stumbling upon this podcast for the first time, welcome and uh, strap in. It's going to be a bumpy one. Uh, but if you head over to scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, you can check out all the latest views, uh, reviews and some some match stuff on uh on, on the podcast you can also head over to patreon.com slash scottish rugby podcast and you can subscribe for three pounds a month for exclusive content including our hands in the ruck section which we'll we'll record just straight after this we'll continue to go live for our patrons and we will cut loose we'll have a wee sweary word and i'm sure craig might mention what he actually thinks about Blair kinghorn's passing technique so um if you are a Patreon, come over and join us for that. You can also, uh, if you're willing to put your hand in your pocket for £5 a month, you can get access to the uh, the, the luxury package where you'll get your name read out in the podcast. Uh, and yet again, I'm really terrible at this. I haven't checked to see if anybody's done that. I promise this is my vow to you guys. Next week, I'm going to go back through and anybody that has, uh, has given us the £5 a month for the Doogie Donnelly Lounge I'm just going to give you a wee shout out just to just to uh, support you. So that I'm going to write that down right now. Yeah, yeah. One promises. I I promise it's like a politician's promise what I'm giving right now. So you can expect me to change it by probably tomorrow. Um, But we'll do our best to do that for you. It's a web of flies. He lives in his web of flies, Johnny. Don't you even start, Boyle. <laughs> we're going to come on to you in due course. So, yeah, tonight we're going to we're going to have a wee review of the URC at the weekend. We're going to have a wee look at some of the news and reviews that have happened over the, the week in rugby. I think it's important. This is a Scottish rugby podcast, but there has been fairly seismic things happening in rugby over the last couple of days. We're, we're going to uh, have a wee discussion about that and then as I say we'll head over to our Patreon only content where we will do our hands in the rock where we'll set the world of rugby to rights. So does that seem like a seem like an agenda boys? Sound good? Excellent. We've I've got always said you've got an agenda Anderson. I, well <laughs> yes yes I always say I'm winging it you always say I've got an agenda who might be right <laughs> I was just singing it I was just had the wee tune of because I thought it was the agenda boys <laughs> And then I realise it's the Agenda Boys. 
And we've named the podcast eight minutes and forty-five Stop the seconds. Agenda bus is coming, and Johnny's got a problem. He's got something about Blair Kinghorn. Do, 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 do. You can stop now. now. I can only hope that was ad libbed. <laughs> I certainly didn't write that. Sh- um, that rubbish down. Right. Let's let's talk news first of all. Right. Um, which part of South do you want to start in, Johnny? I mean, yeah, we should probably start with the one that actually sort of makes sense. Can I just get get off my chest, first of all, that um, Gregor Townsend being the only British head coach still with a job at the end of this autumn is absolutely baffling (laughs) to me. Like, he's just got better time than the other two, I think, because his job was on the line before the games even started. And then he at least had the sense to bring Finn Russell in with two games left and save his job. If uh, if anybody in Scotland had memories longer than a month, I think we'd be talking about three coaches losing their jobs. <laughs> well, well, some some of us have been advocating for that for quite some time, and some of us, even at the end of the autumn, s- stated that it still wasn't too long to a World Cup. And I was shouted down online. I was absolutely pillared. Online, you can't possibly nine months out from a World Cup, you can't possibly change your coach. Um, the the point the RFU made, and we'll, we'll come on to Wales in just a second, but the point the RFU made when bagging Eddie Jones, their most successful coach in history, um, the point they made was that nine months out, um, it's happened quite a few times in that South Africa have done it twice and won the World Cup both times, and um, England also done it and reached the, the final, and probably should have won it, let's be honest, uh, if it wasn't for a dubious TMO decision uh, that was he in touch, wasn't he in touch. Of course he was in touch. We absolutely all know that, but he might not have been. Um, but let, let, let's let's come back to Eddie, because I think he's going to have his own whole section here. Over, over in Wales, Wayne Pivak, in a surprise to no one, turns out is not cut out for international rugby, as every Welsh person has been telling us for about two years. Uh, and he has finally got the bullet, and none other than the Messiah himself, Warren Gatland, has marched back to Cardiff to sort all that is wrong in Welsh rugby. Um, Johnny, I'll come to you first. Um, I mean, it means that Scott Robertson's on the market. Yeah, um, the England job and the Wales job have both been sorted out in the last week. Rudy Rogara has just signed on to 2027 with La Rochelle. There's like not a lot of coaches and not a lot of jobs left. And at some point, this like insane fairy tale about Scott Robertson is going to come true for someone. And, and Scotland, I guess, are one of the contenders now. Like, I... It, it baffles me where this entire Scott Robertson thing's come from because everyone thinks they're getting Scott Robertson all the time. <laughs> Scott Robertson has a job that he likes <laughs> and he's good at, and he's never been an international coach before, yet every time someone loses two games in a row, all of a sudden, everybody in that country goes, you know what's going to be brilliant? We're going to get Scott Robertson. <laughs> no one's going to get Scott Robertson, and even when they do, no one knows if he's going to be good or not. There, like he that. could be Bobbins, he could be like the second coming of Wayne Pivak. Well, he's well, Wayne, he's Wayne, 
he's got a really good team with a really solid academy who've been playing together since they were like seven years old and have the best pack in Super Rugby and keep winning Super Rugby and he's a great Super Rugby coach with the best Super Rugby franchise. Wayne Pivak was a great top 14 or pro 14 coach. He had a really good Scarlets team and he won a pro 14 or a pro 12 at that point with them. And then got the Wales job and was absolute dog water. And, <laughs> and everyone just seems to feel like with Scott Robertson, it's going to be totally different. I don't, I do not understand. Sorry, I've kind of gone off on one of Scott no, Robertson. Oh, yeah. there, just we also, we also don't, know, uh, don't know the state of um, Scott Robertson curtain game. Um, we don't know how his curtains are. Well, I mean, we know what his actual curtains are like, don't we? Well, you, you know, you just you, you can't look at that and look in his steely blue eyes and think, I want to break dance with him. Now, I, I know that I know that certain pundits on other podcasts would have a lot to comment about Scott Robertson's drapes, uh, but we, we, we will concentrate purely on his merit as a rugby coach. When Bivai, as you rightly say, Johnny, came into the role as a successful coach in the Scarlets, played attractive rugby. I was given, kind of given a remit to revolutionise the way Wales played because obviously under Gatland it was uh, Warren Ball or, you know, there's other affectionate terms that we might touch on in Patreon for it, but it was successful rugby and Pivac came in and you could see see what he tried to do in those first... It almost to me strikes me that he, he was kind of hampered by... The players that he had were very suited to to Warren Ball, and he was kind of hampered by that, and he never seemed to evolve. And the fact you've got a Wales team now losing to Georgia, losing to Italy, who a lot of them look over the hill now, it strikes me there's been no evolution in that Welsh team. Do you think there's a breakdown in communication and that uh, no one told Wayne Pivak or nobody checked at the WRU that actually Tyg Burns not available for Wales? <laughs> And the fact that he built his entire Scarlet's Pro 12 winning team around the fact that Tyburn is an absolutely irreplaceable talent and then got to Wales and went, oh, hang on. <laughs> There's now, a very important piece missing here. Now, now let's let's be clear. Are you suggesting that Tyburn is better than Alwyn Jones? Is that what you're saying here? Oh, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, right yes, now, Johnny. Choose violence. <laughs> yes oh that makes me feel good yes <laughs> if there's any welsh folks watching tonight feed me your hate bring it uh i would, I would like to see that craig what, what's your take wayne pivak he came into the road the scarlets were always an entertaining side to watch and certainly were the, the bane of a few edinburgh sides over the years um but yeah it really, it, as Johnny rightly says, it is a bit of a warning shot for anyone thinking we just take a coach from club rugby and throw them into the international scene. Mike Blair. Yeah, but that's the sort of the... the well, Mike Blair's slightly different because he's been involved in the international scene already So um, with, with Scotland, so it's, it's slightly different. But yeah, I totally agree. It's, uh, you know, yeah. But then, what what Wales don't seem to have and, and what what um, is going to be what, I guess, Gatland always seemed to do quite well was deal with not dealing with all the, the politics and all the tribalism in Wales. And he just picked a team, win the first game, 
pick the same team to win the next game. Pick the team maybe with a new player in to see what he's going to go like to win the next team. And he got them winning. And and I think that um, I'm a you know I know there's been a lot said this week about it, but I'm a great believer in that there's this you know four year cycle for a World Cup is is as to coin Johnny's phrase a load of bobbins for me. I want to see my team um, win. And I want a coach to come in and win. Now, Pivac got a huge amount of pelters from everybody in Wales about, you know, he shouldn't be, you know, he's 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 using this this, this um, World Cup cycle as an excuse, etc. But it's what Eddie Jones has done for the last eight years. Um, he's gone from cycle, to, you know, four years to four years. You know, everything's going to be better when I get to the World Cup. The big difference with, well, first of all, Pivac never. Did he ever get to go to a World Cup? Did he go to the 19 World Cup? Was he in charge no, for 2019? No, no, he didn't, because it was Gatland that went, wasn't he? Yep. Um, and then, uh, whereas Eddie has always managed to pull some sort of result out of a World Cup, um, he, he seems to be a test match animal. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, I'd, I, what, what I'd, uh, I'm never one for going back. I, what I don't seem to understand is that Gatland was done. He was finished. All the Welsh fans had had enough of Gatland and this and that and the other, and all of a sudden now it's oh, the Messiah has returned. Um, so we'll wait and see if uh, I've got a tenor on Rob Howley coming back as well. So, uh, yeah, I think the Howley will be back. That's really bad. That's mean. I'm sorry. That's what, come on, you, I was being subtle there, Joy. <laughs> Yeah, it will, be, it will be really interesting because, as you say, you know, Gatlin left the Wales job and it was the, the brave new dawn of Welsh rugby. And it's funny because I think, you know, I it'll be interesting to see where Scotland fans end up in this because I think we are about to change coach at some point in the next year or so. And it'll be interesting to see if we happen to take a Mike Blair or another another coach and we have a few bad results. Fans really like winning, as you rightly said, Craig. Fans like winning games of rugby. And it doesn't matter if you're the greatest coach in the world or a totally bang average coach. If you can get a side winning rugby, you'll get the fans behind you. And Warren Gatlin plays winning rugby. It's dreadful rugby. It's not entertaining in the slightest. And he's got his work cut out as well because I think the development of the Welsh team, to me, certainly has moved away from that kind of brute strength, massive, massive bodies. There is some of the old guard, the Gatland era guys still in there, but I think a lot of the players have moved away from that Gatland ball style. And it will be interesting to see if he can create or recreate the magic some in some ways with what he's got available to him. I, I, I think this is... I think this is going to be the Cristiano Ronaldo back to Man United scenario. I think we're going to we're going to see some fireworks. I don't think this is going to go necessarily that well for Gatland, uh, and I think you might find he's that sort he... out the bin. He's going to sort of what? No, sorry, John. Well, he's got to sort out the bin fire that is well should be at this point in time. Well, well that's um, and, it, yeah. And and he's well known to have said and, and has been quoted before that he is not a, he's not an advocate of the four team system in Wales. He wants to lose one team, at least, um, and relocate a few of the teams as well. So, uh, you know, it's 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 going to be really difficult for him. Um, and and also the, the one of the more scary things about it is the fact that um, I've totally forgot his name. Uh, no, Will Rollins has just signed for Racing. Yeah, 
He's off to yeah. Racing, that's right. You know, yeah, so I have to say, like they've got, they seem to have got it sorted for next year and stuff now. But if I was not even just a regional player, if I was, if I was a Welsh international player or a fan of one of the regions or a DOR or something, one of the regions, eh, watching on Monday as as they wheel out this massive contract they're paying Gatlin before they've even given the regions their budgets, yeah. I would be furious. Like Will Rule is left because they didn't know what their budget was. So they yeah. didn't they couldn't offer him a contract and he's off to Racing. Yeah. That happened with Jonah Holmes at the end of the last season, who's ended up playing for Ealing in the championship. He was a Welsh international and he's in the championship because they couldn't sort their budgets out. They lost out on some huge names. The regions had a couple of massive, massive Southern Hemisphere players supposed to be coming to them in summer, um, who they lost out on because they couldn't tell them what their budgets were. And they signed that contract with, with Warren Gatland before they told the regions what their budgets were for next year. It's mental. It's scary, isn't it, to think like so. The the figure the, the figures rumored like so. We we obviously we don't know the official figure that that Gatland is going to be getting, but I mean the rumors are it's around about six hundred thousand pounds per year. That the five hundred eighty five seems to be the, the kind of most regularly quoted number. I mean that's not kicking the bum off of a Finn Russell and. I, I was reading some papers recently about the impact of coaching in sports. And actually, managers, coaches, whilst they have an impact and can can influence, you know, style of play, and particularly, you know, what Gatlin's good is, he has a very particular type of play that he wants to implement. Coaches don't actually impact results as much as they would have you think. So for the, uh, the the Welsh Rugby Union to be forking out 600k, which if we compare it to, well, you know, 600k is what, a, a tenth of the budget of Edinburgh and Glasgow, give or take, maybe a wee bit, maybe bit less for a for a national manager. And I'm sure Townsend's on not far off that as well. You know, he'll be, he'll be on a decent whack as well, but yeah, it's scary, and when there's such uncertainty of funding in Wales, it, it, it it's insulting, isn't it, to the, to the players involved, and they will lose the lose players and the lose uh, coaches. And speaking of coaches, Craig, of course, Gatlin's coming back to Wales, and we are all going to find out just how much Sean Edwards actually was the brains behind the operation. Yeah, because uh, uh, Sean Edwards is uh, is just. Signed on for longer with France, if I'm right in saying so. He has, um, yeah. He's in the uh, so he's, he's in the conversation. Uh, you know, I was I listened to an interview with him, um, and he was saying, you know, he's open to anything. That he's open to anybody talking to him, but if if they're going to take the time about it, you know, he's comfortable and happy where he is, and he was offered a good deal, so he stayed on. So, you know, this is this whole thing of um, coaches. Good coaches are now looking for financial and and um, uh, workplace security um, and you know okay uh, you know gone okay in club game coaches are um, uh, you know live and die by the the fans and the rugby that's played but a lot of the international coaches are looking for international standard coaches are looking for time um, to be able to develop the team and that and I guess that's where 
you know, um, Pivak has struggled with because he's not, he's, he's been able to work, if he works with a team on a regular basis every day, day in, day out, he, he can produce, um, well, him and Ty Byrne can produce a, 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 um, a Pro 14 <laughs> title. Um, but it, I think he's struggled with bringing in all these different players and trying to get them to play his, his, his way. Whereas Gatland, for some reason, well, you know, it's not inspiring rugby that he coaches, so I suppose you can all just fit into that box really easily, you know. Well, let, let's let's see what um, <clears throat> the future brings for Welsh rugby. Nine months out from a World Cup, um, it'll be interesting to see how Gallon goes. Um, let, let's move. <clears throat> so we've we've spoke about five hundred eighty-five thousand for Gallon. Let's move over to £750,000 a year. Eddie Jones, who has just got the can from the RFU, um, a year out, well, nine months out from a World Cup, which, as you guys have already touched on, is the Eddie Jones specialty. He works in four-year cycles. Um, ultimately, Johnny, like, if you look at it objectively, right, ex- extract the World Cup from it for a second, which I know is not fair because that's kind of what he's building to. Results this year haven't been good enough. Results for quite a few years haven't been good enough for England with the resources they have and the the talent they have at their disposal. Plus, the rugby has been really quite uninspiring. Surely it was a no-brainer that you had to go. I think it's one of the most insane decisions that any rugby union has made in a very long time. I think it's absolutely bonkers. Like, for all that, yeah, he's, he's had some not great results the results when when they matter are really good and like for every bad result i saw a thing today saying dave rennie could win the next 43 games in a row for australia and still not have as good a win percentage as eddie jones had with england like his win his win percentage is brilliant he wins games where it matters the problem for him is that his his man management style has run its course. I think a lot of a lot of what happened towards the end of Richard Cockrell's time at Edinburgh is what's happened in England. Like they're just they're just not prepared to put up with it anymore. The story that was in the Telegraph this morning about him reducing Max Malins to tears uh, during the autumn is not something you're going to get away with as a coach at any level. Obviously, you know, we saw a bit of a bump in Edinburgh's fortunes when Cockers came in, but it doesn't last for very long. And I think Eddie Jones has just been there for long enough, trying it for long enough now that they just couldn't stand for it anymore, basically. But it's mental. Like, the money they've had to pay out to get rid of him, um, the money that it looks like they're going to have to pay in to get Borthwick in, which is the who's the man they want, the way they've gone about it, the timing the results that he's had, the World Cup performances that he's got out of them, using this exact same system, it's just, it's madness. But, it's like, I'm, I'm here for it, I'm enjoying it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. It's, it's interesting, Craig, thinking about the succession planning of English rugby and how quickly it's changed. Eddie Jones, when he signed his, uh, after the 2019 World Cup, they reached the, the final People have kind of said that results since then haven't been great, but they did win the 2020 Six Nations. You know, yes, they finished fifth and, and then third in the subsequent championships, but, they, you know, they've got a Six Nations title behind them as, as recently as 2020. And 
there was always a succession plan talked about, and obviously, um, um, Rob Rob Baxter was talked about extensively when Exeter were were chomping all in front of them, and he's just signed a contract extending his time at Sandy Park, England. I mean, just from my opinion, but I really want to hear your take on this, Craig. They've, they've really screwed the pooch here with their succession planning. Yeah, because it was, it's been talked about prior to the 2019 World Cup that Eddie was going to get this World Cup out of the way, uh, win it, obviously, because that's what they were saying. <laughs> it was, that's what they were saying it was going to happen. And then he was going to then take two years to, to bed in a new coach and then and then dance off into the sunset to America to coach rugby. So the problem you have is that um, it's not just the, the, the cost of a, paying Eddie off, because they will have had to have paid Eddie off, and then getting getting um, Borthwick in. But it's, who does Borthwick bring with them? Um, and how much are they going... Because really, Borthwick, don't get me wrong, from what all sides of it, uh, all sides of the rugby team, people are very, very happy with, with what Steve Borthwick does. Um the problem is he is a very much a yin and a yang. He needs somebody else in the background cuddling and squeezing and having a bit of personality in the team, whereas he's well known to be kind of just a, um, you know, he's he's a personality, but he's not a personality, if you know what I mean. He's, he's quite doer. So, you know, is he going to bring Kevin Sinfield along with him? Is he going to bring, I've forgotten the, the other lad's name uh, in Leicester, but is he going to bring those coaches with him? Because obviously Eddie Jones has decimated every single assistant coach that he's ever had in the England job. I think it was only Cockers that would probably stay around because I think Eddie Jones would be frightened of Cockers. So you know, <laughs> he's the only person that he'd be frightened of. But so you know, it'll be an interesting one to see how much it. And I, I totally agree with Johnny. I think replacing Eddie Jones right now, uh, you know, is is bonkers. Is absolutely bonkers. They've gone with, you know, um, I, I think uh, all the English crowd that were booing at Twickenham, they were more booing the team rather than Eddie Jones. And then all of a sudden they've got rid of Eddie Jones and they've gone, oh, whoa, whoa, we didn't mean that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa. It's Cam, Cam the Beans here, guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately for me, like Eddie, Eddie Jones, obviously he's been a very divisive figure over the, over the years and it has. Um, has arced us on a number of occasions, and uh, you know that that is not a surprise. You would expect that of an England coach. We've often been, um, you know, even even the most polite man in the world, Stuart Lancaster, uh, when he was England coach, was found his way to annoy Scotland. So th- they have a talent for it. Eddie, in particular, does it does have a very good knack for winding people up. I'm just I'm having a think about like, the evolution of that England side though, and you know, Eddie Jones 2019 was a bit was a bit of a shock actually because they hadn't had they hadn't had the great Six Nations. They'd had that massive run when he first started, where you know, and you've said about the Dave Rennie stat, it's mostly generated from that in that like there was so many games they won and they'd done two massive runs where yeah they, they were, were close to the record, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, twice, twice. And then they've kind of moved from there and they've got to a World Cup final and it was kind of in spite of, you know, they went into the tournament with Eddie Jones. There was calls for him to be fired before that World Cup and they go in and he does Eddie Jones magic and gets them to the final playing 
some of the best rugby I've seen from an English team in a long, long time. That semi-final against the All Blacks was magnificent. If if we stand back as Scots and remove the you know the desire for the, those guys in white to constantly get pummeled, it was brilliant what they done. And then South Africa tore them off the park. And Eddie Jones admitted after that final he'd made mistakes in selection. He'd he kind of made mistakes in the type of player that he wanted. But they then continue to make the same mistakes. And it's only in the last year that I've maybe seen a change of tact in the English selection policy. Pro, you know, Marcus Smith's come in at the side and I don't think that's necessarily an Eddie Jones pick. I think that's a, a kind of, you know, the 85% of the revenue comes from the stands RFU pick. They need someone like Marcus Smith to get behind. But, you know, you're seeing guys like Freddie, uh, Freddie Stewart coming into that fullback row. I think he's one of the most talented rugby players England have had on their hands in generations. But you're also seeing the same old picks, the same old blockers. And for me, that's the Eddie Jones influence where he's not evolved his, his team. He's not evolved his coaching to, to think in modern rugby. And for me, that's why... Like, I, I think he probably should have stayed to the World Cup and, you know, done all that and then be done. And I think he could probably have done relatively well with England at a World Cup. But England are stuck. If they've got Eddie Jones at the helm, they're stuck in the mire of what he wants them to do. And the way he's alienated coaches, alienated people that could influence that is telling. So for me, he, that, that that's why he has to go. He seems to have this thing as well where if he's decided that, he's no use for you, then that's it. He's decided he's no use for you. And like yeah. some of the players that, that England have let go, and obviously because of the way they, they select their squads and their, their EQP contracts and stuff, Joe yeah. Launchbury go to France, Joe Marchant go to France, Zach Mercer a couple of years ago. Like that's phenomenal talent yeah. that Eddie Jones has basically pushed to a position where they can't be selected for England anymore. And like yeah. the, the Marchant one is a, Particularly as a head scratcher because he was he was a difference maker. Yeah, when he came the season. He played for Quinns. He had a great relationship with Marcus Smith. They were right at the business end of the Premiership. He came into England and he was a breath of fresh air for England. He he made Marcus Smith a better player, yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like, no nah, mate, just go. It's fine. Go play in France. I don't need you. I'll never pick you. This, this is the weird thing though, isn't it? Or, or this is the thing though. Um, People like Marchant, I, I I think are a good a good player for England. I don't rate Marcus Smith in an international jersey. Um, and the the issue what, to to justify that that comment and and not to anger the gods that rugby Jesus has been uh, questioned. Um, <laughs> what I mean about that is that Marcus Smith at Quinns, when they don't have. You know, you know, they have a collection of coaches who all have an input and they are well known for talking about um, playing what they see in front of them. Marcus Smith is in his element in that area. But the minute you start bringing um, uh, rules and regulations and, and, and I want you to play this way in this part of the field and I want you to play this way in this part of the field, as you've seen, it, it's, it's absolutely knocked the corners off Marcus Smith. And so I don't think he's built for international rugby as as a whole because in international rugby, you're going to get coaches who want that you to play to their specific plan. There's no way, unless you're 
Italy or your Colombia or your Chile or, you know, you, you can go around to your players and say, I'll tell you what, just play what's in front of you on you go. Um, he's not going to come across that. And so that and that's where the, the juxtaposition between Marcus Smith and, and Owen Farrell has really caused problems. Um, and also, I think the, 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 the having the crash ball 12 and, and, and constantly wheeling Manu Tuilangi out in his wheelchair, um, <laughs> you know, is, is wrong as well. Eddie, you know, Eddie Jones's pick, you know, he, Eddie Jones took, um, took um, Marcus Smith into, into the international squad far too early and because there was so much pressure on him. And he kept talking about how he, he doesn't pick on, on, um, uh, he doesn't pick on, um, on how a player's playing and on, on, on you know, he, he picks on, he's got his reasons for how he picks players, but he started to do that because the, the noise has been too much from the England fans. I mean, it's, it's worth, worth remembering as well. So, you know, Eddie Jones has, he's been given this, um, you know, obviously the press have kind of debated to death the Eddie Jones era of English rugby. It's worth it's worth remembering how he came into the role, though, Johnny. That you know, twenty fifteen, a home World Cup under Stuart Lancaster, who's gone on to be one of the most celebrated coaches in world rugby at this point in time. Obviously, moving to Racing ninety two, Eddie Jones was the Japanese coach at the time and had agreed to go and take over the Stormers after the World Cup. Um, and the the RFU he, he broke that contract to go and join. Join England. He, he was he was he was with the Stormers for eight days apparently, um, and the RFU had to pay 100, 100 grand, which doesn't seem massive amount, but considering the RFU, no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, oh, no, um, and you know you've got you've got this guy who's he's he's had success everywhere he's went, but ultimately, yeah, I mean you're you're absolutely right when you say the comparison with Richard Cockrell. It's quite interesting that. We would say, I, I, I think Richard Cockrell is is the natural successor to him if they go down the same route, and that if they're going short termism and you know they want a couple of years of a shouty shouty coach, they could go Cockrell. But uh, I, I, I just can't see how Steve Borthwick can be. I, I don't, I don't think he's the messiah that the English media think, and it seems to me like. Martin Johnson is jumping into my head. I know Borthwick's obviously got coaching behind him and isn't just a a captain that happens to be, you know, let's make a manager for a World Cup and watch how terrible that goes. But I, I just I just don't see how Borthwick's the answer. I think this is crazy. They're, they're, no. They're and again, like I've said this about Scotland before with, you know, going in for for Gregor Townsend and then obviously there's there's people in Scotland starting to speak about Mike Blair already um, as much as we love him around here um, Pete Horn's been talked about as a Glasgow coach and then being into the Scotland setup already and like England now doing the same thing with Borthwick and like my overwhelming feeling is what's wrong with coaches like see instead of see instead of persistent everyone persisted with players, players into coaches into national managers into total laughing stock. Like, let's look at some coaches. Like Vern Cotter was a coach. Yeah. That was like 
Vern's playing career is nothing compared to his coaching career. Scott Robertson, for all we've just said, you know, he's unproven or whatever, is a coach. Gregor Townsend is a player who became a coach. Steve Steve Borthwick is a player who became a coach. Warren Gatland, as much as he was a player, he was never a player to the level that he was a coach. I just think that, that more teams should be spending more time and more resources looking at coaches to make them coaches instead of looking at players to make them coaches because there's not a great track record for that. And actually, Craig, it, it comes back to, you know, you see it a, a lot in football as well where great players don't necessarily make great coaches. And we've spoken about it with, like, Chris Patterson, for example. You know, not saying Chris Patterson isn't a, a very good coach, but, you know, he obviously had a very specific skill set, and it can sometimes be really difficult for great players to pass on their skills, experience, and knowledge onto other players because almost it can come quite naturally to them. Uh, and, and and great players tend not to understand, not, not exclusively, but, you know, a lot of the time you hear about great players, they don't necessarily understand the struggles of lesser players when they're trying to build them up to become become as good as they were or great players, it's it, it's a challenge. Yeah, because the issue you have is is, is a lot of these players that are um, world class or international class, um, they have a certain level of playing ability that comes naturally to them. Um, there are certain players we know that have to work on a regular basis. You know, you look at Duan van der Merwe. You know, he has come along to Scotland. He's had to work incredibly hard to get even, you know, to get back to where he should be with Edinburgh. Then he's then he's introduced into the Scotland and also the Lions side of things, and and everyone's saying, oh, he's rubbish in the air. He's got bad defence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then he, then you see him playing for Scotland in the Autumn Internationals, and you're seeing a better defender, a better, a better player in the air, etc. So he's had to work at it. What the, to to go down the route exactly of what you're saying about um about coaches, you have to understand also in that these all these athletes that are playing at international level level have to be pretty selfish at certain times, yep. um to get themselves to that level, and that doesn't always lend itself to a fantastic team team ethos or or recognizing different things in different players. And just as you said, John, you know it's you know I I can do it, so why can't you? Well. You know, yeah, leadership leadership is very different for a coach than it is a player. Like we just we, we see leadership in players, and we say, you know, he's a natural leader. He's he's this, he's that. But it is it's still very self centered and very much in the yes, I'm working for the team, but ultimately I've got my role to play within that. Whereas a, a, a you know we talk we talk about coaches actually it's managers it's it's guys who have to oversee all of those soft skills. And we've talked about on the podcast a number of times about the Gregor Townsend element of those soft skills, those communication aspects that don't necessarily, it, it doesn't necessarily hit every time or sometimes any times. Um, you know, he, he, can be, he can be quite bad at that. So, um, is it, 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 right, so we've got we've got Eddie Jones leaving. We've got uh, Wayne Pivak out the door. Gregor Townsend has survived uh, by lying to the Scottish fans and then bringing back Finn Russell and lying about the return of Finn Russell um, because obviously we believe that actually he was coming back no matter what, but Adam Hastings took a, an injury 
Um, yeah, your point, Johnny. We'll we'll just we'll finish this section on your point. How has Gregor Townsend been the only one to survive? This is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, honestly, I don't know. Is is the short answer? Two two really good performances at the back end of the autumn is how he survived. Another another one against the All Blacks, where Scotland seemed to have this thing where they, even though we ended up losing, obviously they pull a performance out against the All Blacks that you haven't seen for a long time from Scotland. They pulled another performance out against Argentina, and that was and that's an Argentina team like that is now not like that's not the Argentina team of old. That's a competitive team, you know, yellow cards and red cards aside. That was a really good, really strong performance. But those two strong performances revolved around having Finn Russell in the team. And there was no reason not to have him in the team at the start of the autumn. So, you know, for me, the fact that Finn came in and, and we had we put together two really good performances says Finn should have been in there from the start. And that shouldn't be saving Gregor Townsend's job because it was him that left him out from the start. And it does put a mockery on that idea, Craig, that, you know, as I, as I said, I get pillared online for saying Gregor Townsend could be fired after that autumn series. It, you know, the fact Wales and England are both making changes at this point does, does suggest, you know, is it simply the SRU believe Gregor Townsend is the man to not get us out the group stages at the World Cup? Or do they do they want to... Is, there a, is it a timing issue? Are they more confident that if they wait till after the World Cup, they can get the right man, Scott Robertson. Um, I think also, you know, if, if I want to put my, t- my tinfoil hat on, you could be saying that they're wanting um, to need to go to the World Cup and fail miserably so they don't have to pay him out any more, any, any large amounts of money to get him out of the job. True. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's more to, I've got to be honest, I think, I think, um, I think Scotland and the SRU, etc., believe in their own in their heart of hearts that he's the best man for the job um, because they all seem to toe the same line um, and you didn't have anybody from the SRU kind of scratching their head and going I know Finn Russell um, and when Tooney was given out his, uh, his um, excuses of why he hasn't got Finn Russell in the team um, they were all backing him within the SRU so it's it's an odd one, um, but then on the other side of things, we are sitting there saying, "Well, you know, oh, if England and Wales can do it, so can Scotland." Well, do we really want to though? And that's that, that's that's yeah. the big question. Well, well, t- time will be the teller with that one, and we will see. Obviously, the relative performances of the nations come the World Cup, uh, and obviously the Six Nations is not a million miles away. So it will be interesting, you know, Scotland up against. A Wales and a, an English side in transition. Um, that this this is ripe Scottish territory for a finishing bottom with a, a you know sixth place with a with a forty point loss to Italy. So we shall see how it all progresses. Uh, looking forward to it. So speaking of losses, shall we just touch a wee bit before we go into the Patreon? Shall we touch on the URC, Craig? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. So, remind me what you said about Munster at the start of the season. Uh, I said uh, um, that uh, Munster could be um, one of the Irish teams that don't make it in the top eight. He did. 
I I I picked that out. You you did said Munster were had the potential to have quite a poor season ahead of them. Um, yeah, which they have so far. You've been absolutely spot on with that. And you also said, what did you say about Edinburgh? I said Edinburgh had the potential to win it. <laughs> and what did you say after that? Uh, what do you mean? Because I think we said Edinburgh had the potential to win it. And then I think you doubled down on that and said, Edinburgh, we're going to win it. Well, I've got to have a bit of positivity about me. It's, it's, I've got to, I've got to start the season with a bit of positivity so that, so that I don't end up um, uh, doing anything silly um, at the uh, during the mid season. At least I'm just down at the moment. So um, that this was described to me at the weekend. Uh, so <laughs> the previous weekend was described to me as the worst Edinburgh performance of the last two years. This performance was described as trumping that. Apparently, it was dreadful, Craig. Um, I, I, I think um, whomever's been talking to you or whomever's been writing uh, the, the headlines, I think they're make. I think you know we weren't as bad as the trip to Benetton. Um, Benetton was just poor. Um, I think we just didn't. You know, we've talked about it before, but we, nothing went wrong. Nothing went right, and we dropped every ball, or we. Whenever we needed it to actually go to hand, we dropped it. Or whenever we needed to keep a ball and not get it turned over, we turned it over. Where um, where Edinburgh on the weekend struggled um, was a mixture of um, their substitutes coming on um, didn't really add anything to the game. Um, and also, <laughs> again, we had this... I have to say I agreed with Tom English, um, and I don't tend to agree with Tom English very often um, when I listen to what he's got to say. But Edinburgh, where, where, when you back Munster into a corner, they come out punching. And with Edinburgh, when you back them into a corner, they tend to just say, yes, sir, no, sir, um, whatever you want. Um, and, and I found that is what happened. We came out punching right at the beginning and we, 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 we did a, you know, a great job in the first half and then, or well, maybe even just 20 minutes in the first half. And then Darcy got injured um, and we all started to fall, fall apart. And, and, and I have to say, and I'll say this on the, rather than just in the Patreon, I'll, 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 I'll say this right here. Um, I have a lot of belief in Blair Kinghorn, but he did nothing to nothing to help me believe on the on the weekend. Um, he, 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 you know, maybe I was losing my religion a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it was it was a difficult game to watch and, and a difficult game um, to be. What to watch because the last thing I want to do is see a smiling Peter O'Mahony, and unfortunately, uh, <laughs> that, that, unfortunately that's we got fair. that. Yeah, that's fair. The pr- problem you've got, though, Johnny. We'll come on to Glasgow in a second, but the problem you've got is, and I refer back to Craig's comment in the group chat when the team was announced. That was a fairly full strength. I mean, Buffelli aside, a couple other names maybe. That was a fairly strong Edinburgh team. And they absolutely disintegrated in that second half. Yeah, it, and it is it's worrying from from that point of view. I mean, if you have a bad 
bad day, you have a bad day. Edinburgh have had two in a row now, which is more of a concern. Um, but that second half kind of made me think that the old Scottish way have fallen apart in the second half, which uh, Glasgow never really shook, but Edinburgh and Scotland seemed to kind of be shaking a little bit. It, it does uh, concern me slightly that possibly it's on its way back, and I think that's something that we really, really need to avoid. We, you know, we spoke eighteen months, two years ago about um, Scotland's mental fragility and how a lot of that came from the clubs because there was a point where both club sides were doing it, and I, I really thought that Edinburgh, mostly, and Scotland to an extent, had started to turn the corner from that, um, but they seem to have been afflicted by what Glasgow have never really escaped from, which is not being able to hold their nerve, basically. It's, it's second half itis. Well it's 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 funny because and and there was a couple of th- you know a couple of moments and for the first twenty minutes Edinburgh looked on song and they were throwing the ball around and were and were making were making ground, scored a couple of nice tries. Okay, one was an intercept from Darcy, but you know, Christine came through broke through the monster lines and, and, and scored a fantastic try. And then Munster seemed to go, right, okay, this is this is wrong. We're doing something wrong here. I'll tell you what, we're gonna go back to why Munster play and they just ran at us. And where where we we struggled and where I was very disappointed in is that every time somebody took a ball to a line they were getting two to three meters through the tackle and that creates momentum so you're already on the back foot and and edinburgh just went to pieces every time they would just take a line they would you know people would come in to try and make a tackle they were they were upright in the tackles there was nobody putting any chop tackles in to put these people to ground they were always trying to stop them and hold the ball and try to rip the ball etc which which leads yourself to five meters further down the park in your own half and 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 that seemed to be the way it happened and then all of a sudden it just got to a point where they kind of went oh well or you know we're not bothered we'll just let them run at us and it was difficult to watch Edinburgh to me, they, they strike me as a team just now, and I, this might be might be unfair, but I'm not I'm not meaning it to be unfair. They strike me as a team just now that seem to panic when their game plan. So whenever anyone, so you've just said your know, monster just went. Do you know what? Let's just do what we do, and we'll just run the ball straight and hard, and we'll see what they've got because they're playing Edinburgh as you rightly said. You know, at first period of time. They played good stuff. There was a couple of good moments for them. And they've just went, you know what, how do we counter that? And Edinburgh seemed to struggle. And it's probably, you know, symptomatic of Glasgow and Scotland as well that whenever the plan A gets countered, I don't know if the club sides have the talent within the teams. And that's no disrespect to any of the guys that are playing in those shirts. I think they struggle with when the situation changes and you know we've all identified times particularly Scotland where you know you've had a situation change in front of you and the team haven't reacted or the team haven't adjusted their play referees are a great example you know ref interpreting the rules one way one day sometimes Scotland get left behind with that and I just feel like Edinburgh really struggle when a team understands what they're going to do and just goes yeah, no, you're going to have to beat us a different way today, guys. 
And part of that, you know, when you're missing Buffelli, part of that comes down you don't have a goal kicker in that team. So you can't just grind out penalties, grind out wins that way. You're going to miss kicks. You're going to you're going to struggle to just take the points, which is a whole. You know that's the, the famous northern hemisphere way of doing rugby in the middle of uh, November, December is just to grind out. You know a, a five penalty win. Edinburgh can't do that. Glasgow can't do that either, actually, to a certain extent. But we certainly have a higher percentage kicker. Um. The problem for me as well, you know, the, like bright spots from that Edinburgh team, right? Christine was fantastic. He again was a, a, a shining star in that side. But you look at the other players in that team, you've got internationals across the board, and not one of them stood up and said, Look, they're doing this to us. And it was there was an inevitability about what Munster were doing oh, that yeah. no, no one stood up to. It was. It was definitely there was an there was definitely an inevitability um, to to and and this is this isn't just an Edinburgh thing. This is a Scottish it's rugby not, thing. Yeah, it's Scottish, absolutely. Um, and 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 where and you know, I was going to save this for the uh, for the Patreon, but um, where you where you see the difference is, we could have gone in at half time. With two scores, Munster having to score two tries to get near us, if Blair Kinghorn had put his kicks across. Exactly. Okay. So, and and Edinburgh, we talk about Blair Kinghorn being a, a confidence player. I think Edinburgh are a confidence They're team. A confidence, I totally agree. Totally and agree. and you you know, and and I'm, 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 if I get banished or burnt at the stake, I'm going to have to take it on the head. <laughs> Welcome to my world. But first of all, we didn't get two kicks didn't go over, so there was there was six points went to missing, and then the two tries that Munster scored once in the in the first half, once in the second half, were both from Blair Kinghorn missing tackles. Yeah, uh, glaringly obviously ones obvious ones as well, um, and he's so. <sighs> And I'm not turning around and saying that this performance is all Blair Kinghorn's fault. I'm absolutely not. I'm saying that it's it, it, it seems to be that when we have an off day, and it's usually highlighted by Blair Kinghorn and his uh, and how he's playing, yeah. and we talk about how he's a confidence player, and if he's not confident, things just don't go right for him. It seems to be better the team because the team seems to be exactly the same thing. Things weren't going right, and you know Jamie Ritchie. And kicking a ball out, uh, out of our out of our um, uh, out of our own try line, you know, and putting it up and straight into some straight into a, a monster player's hands, you know, why are we doing something like that, you know? And, and so it's it just yeah, uh, I, I was frustrated, um, and I'll talk about more frustrations about Edinburgh uh, in the Patreon, but um, yeah, it was it was a frustrating night and. Um, what I will say, however, and, and uh, I will say to all, everyone at Edinburgh Rugby, um, they got the atmosphere fantastic that night. Um, we were freezing cold and they had patio heaters and, and different types of patio heaters all out in the player area, uh, in, the, in, the, in the food court area. And it was really 
it was a, it was a really nice atmosphere. So um, and plus I had I had a driver that night, which was great. So I could have a pint. So always nice. Life life was good. So uh, you know, I'd like to thank everyone that was involved in getting uh, getting the game all set up. It was really good, and uh, and hopefully it will continue over the winter time. Yeah. So we've got a, th- a thirty-one eighteen loss for Edinburgh to Munster. Um, Coming, coming to confidence players, and we'll just quickly touch on this, Johnny, because I'm conscious of the time. Uh, when you cut to the BBC article of the Glasgow game, you see George Horn looking absolutely panicked that he's about to be smashed by a Zebra player. But, so you know, kicking, kick, you know, seven out of seven for George Horn, including some absolute screamers. Um his his general play, some of it, some of his box kicking wasn't up to scratch, but you know, again against Zebra, you're gonna get away with that. They are a you know, you know I like to to I'm I'm try to choose the right words before Patreon here, but you know I like to diss an Italian team. Zebra were mins. Glasgow for the first half were absolutely shocking. But then the second half in what is anti-Glasgow style, they seem to pull it together in the second half, scored some nice tries, um, and generally came away with a very comfortable win. Uh, no, no, you know, George Horn was at the absolute heart of it. Yeah, and really nice tries. I have to say, uh, I've only watched the highlights because I make a philosophical decision never to watch any Scotland Scottish teams playing against Zebra because it's either boring or heartbreaking. Yeah, because we we're at the stage now where Glasgow's result on Saturday is the sort of result that we should be getting against Zebra, and yeah. if we do, it's not that exciting to watch. Like Zebra are not a good team. It's it's fun to score six or seven tries against them, but it's not like watching someone score six or seven tries against a proper team. So if the game goes the way that it by all rights should. It's a pretty boring watch because you're just watching a not very good team concede a bunch of tries. If it doesn't, it's a horrible thing to watch because you're getting you're getting battered by Zebra and they're terrible. So I do not watch full full games of Scottish teams playing against Zebra. I do not understand. I don't see the point. They are the one weak spot of the URC for me because they are just not at the level of the other team. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. Um, they are, they are... And when we get bad results against them, it's horrible. <laughs> The pro- problem, I don't know if you watched the game either, Craig, but the problem for me, again, Glasgow, uh, you know, really pulled away that second half, but again, la- a late couple of tries conceded. This seems to be a recurring theme for Glasgow, in, particularly in Italy. We tend to do this. Uh, should we read into that, or is that just, uh, you know, we're away, we're going to get we're gonna get a nice breakfast in the morning, and we've, you know, we've done our job, we've scored quite a few tries, the boys have done a job, we can switch off and they'll score a couple of tries. Uh, difficult because, you know, I can't take the high horse with Edinburgh um, in Italy um, or playing Italian teams. So it seems to be a Scotland thing um, yeah. because... Italy as as a whole, Italy as an international team, have given us many a scare. In fact, I think Johnny and I were in the Stadio Olimpico um, having a drink to try and uh, wait on. I think it was Greg <laughs> Greg Laidlaw that uh, that actually uh, saved our horses that day. Yeah, uh, and uh, and I think it's uh, you know 
I think we all seem to struggle with Italian teams, and I would like you know, I like the, the sort of the Johnny's um, uh, entitlement there, saying you know we should be we should be beating these teams. You know we're the sort of team we should be beating these teams. But the problem we have is that history does not show that either Glasgow or Edinburgh should be beaten. <laughs> And this is the problem. Um, we we have the you know we have the the the, the personnel. We team to we seem to cop ball on a regular basis um, when we go and play Italian teams lately, especially. I mean, I would I would probably counter that by saying history probably does say that both Edinburgh and Glasgow should be beating Zebra. Um, yeah, like, I think what a lot of people don't seem to be fully bought into yet is that we can't see Italian teams anymore, I don't think, because Benetton have moved on in the last couple of years in a way that Zebri just haven't. Like, Zebri still are not a good team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah they, are, they, are, they, are, they are poor. Uh, so here, here's a here's a stat for you. So the, the Glasgow away to Zebri in the URC Pro 14, Pro 12. So the games Glasgow have played against Zebri. So away is where you'd expect Zebra to be at their most dangerous against Glasgow. Uh, ten, ten, 10 matches. What have we got? 10 wins. Well, it's now 11 wins. Eight, eight try bonus points. It's now nine try bonus points and 48 points out of 50. So, you know, to say that we shouldn't be expecting to beat Zebra, you know, the stats bear, bear difference to that. Benetton, I think, are a different side. But Back to the point I made with you last week, Craig. I think that if we're going to make statements like we want to be in playoffs, we want to be top four, we want to be winning the title, Benetton are a team you need to be dispatching with a five point. Oh, yeah, listen, listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sitting here um, saying, oh, we should be afraid, we should be afraid. Yeah. I'm just saying that when we have our when we have our gander up, when we think that we're going to do this and that and the other, and and people like. Some stupid people think you're going to win the. Uh, think their team's going to win the Pro 14 of the of the URC. Um, <laughs> you've always got a wee Italian team sitting at the background. So you think, um, and so that's my that's my concern. We always seem to manage as a as, as a as a Scottish teams nation as such. We some we regularly trip over an Italian team at some point. Well, why why don't we take this one over to the Patreon where we can properly cut loose about what we actually think about Italian rugby and many other things. Um, thank, thank you everyone that's joined us tonight. We're going to head over uh, to our, our, our pay for section now. Uh, if you're coming over to join us, we'll be delighted to have you. But for now, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Johnny and Craig. Bye all. Bye all. <laughs>